Welcome to Broken Catholic, the show where I interview practicing Catholics, non-Catholics, and recovering Catholics about why the world isn't working right now, and tackle unspeakable topics that many people secretly struggle with but won't admit. See, I believe that God is in the business of transformation, so I'm here to stand for you having a transformation so big that when God is done with you, you're barely recognizable. I'm your host, your coach, your brother, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist, and I freely share my personal struggles of being a modern Catholic man. It's freaking hard. I don't have it all figured out. I'm a work in progress just like you, and that's okay. Today, our featured guest is Dan Schock, and our topic is marriage, God's design on marriage. Okay, so a very broad topic here, Dan. Now, Dan, um, just tell us really quickly, uh, what do you do? What's your business? What are you into right now? Well, we became friends, Joseph, as a result of my role as the area director for a ministry that's out in the marketplace in Tampa Bay called CBMC, the Christian Businessmen's Connection. And you got involved with us, and you've been a blessing to us ever since. And I just help guys get focused on their relationship with God and becoming useful to Him in the business arena. Very cool, man. And Dan, you're just a cool guy. You know, let's just be direct about it, all right? What I really like about you, you're a type A personality just like me. So you're a get-it-done, execution-type guy. So you're really cool on the ideas and stuff, but how do we actually— affect change in the world, and your mission that God's given you right now is bringing people to Him. Absolutely. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of things that get us busy, but not effective. Mm. So one of the things that I've done in my past, I used to be a business coach, is I like to get under the hood of people's businesses, and now even their spiritual lives, and help to point out some of the issues that I have found and overcome with God's help. That's so cool. So just as a reminder, our podcast isn't about who our guest is, what he's achieved in life, even though I normally bring on other very successful business people and we have these conversations. uh, This podcast is about what they stand for. And today we're going to talk about Dan and how he stands for marriage, God's design on marriage, what that looks like, where he's come from, was it different a few years ago, and now you know this before and after happened in his life, which God tends to transform us all the time, right? So we're standing for you having a transformation in your life as you listen to this podcast. So Dan, let's get right into this. Uh, God's design on marriage. Uh, Start us off with, um, where are you right now? You married, you're single, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, so I'm 47 years old, and I've been married uh, in June was my five-year anniversary. So I didn't get married until I was 42. First marriage for me and for my wife. Whoa, congratulations. Thank you. And first off, Many people in the world would say, why'd you wait so long? Well, that's a great question. And there was a couple of times in my life when I was engaged prior to my wife. And it just, you know, I had kind of a process that I felt like God was bringing me through in order for everything to line up, you know, just all my ducks in a row in order to finally pull the trigger and move forward in marriage. So even though I was engaged a couple of times, I ended up breaking it off. Cool. So one thing you notice about me on this podcast that my audience likes is that I, I get out of the stands and we get down on the court. Okay. So when you say uh, your ducks lining up, what do you mean specifically? Yeah. So when I was a, a young single guy, you know, you got to understand the history of where I come from. So my folks got divorced when I was eight years old. Mm. So I had a little bit of an issue trusting that marriage lasts mm. forever. 
And one of the things I've come to understand is when I look for a potential mate, I look at their past and their history and, and it, are their parents married long-term? That's a great indicator on what their background is. Now, so, why is that so important to you? Well, I mean, I think from my own personal experience, and that's all I'm going to mm-hmm. speak from, my own personal experience, I think that my parents' divorce had a negative impact on my view of marriage for a very long time. I didn't trust it as God has designed it to be a permanent institution. This is one of those relationships that's not a contract made to be broken. Mm. This is a covenant made to never be broken. And my parents didn't take it that way. Help me uh, distinguish the difference between a contract and a covenant. Sure. So a contract, like in business, as we all know, a contract can be broken. You can renegotiate a contract. You can go back on a contract. Sometimes there's legal repercussions. But everybody understands a contract's not really designed to be permanent. Okay, so then when you start to blend in biblical wisdom, Scripture, God intends certain things to be covenants. Covenants means it's permanent. Once you commit to it, it's a permanent arrangement. So God has made those permanent arrangements with us, and marriage is one of those things that he expects us to not enter into lightly. This is a major commitment. It's a major decision, and he expects you to see it through to the end. That's really cool, and I'm just going to piggyback on that, uh, just a little things I've picked up over the few years here uh, in distinguishing between contract and covenant. If you're listening, a contract, simply the way it shows up for me, is between two people or more, right? So it's between humans, human to human. A covenant involves God. Absolutely. And when you bring God into the equation, now there's three parties, right? So a marriage, and that's what's very interesting. Now, first off, I'm kind of laughing inside at myself, right? Because I'm a single guy talking about marriage here, Right. right? So what do I actually know other than I'm friends with a lot of successfully married guys, happily sure, married guys. Sure. But you're investigating marriage. I know you are. I am investigating, man. I am like Sherlock Holmes when it comes to marriage. Watch <laughs> out. So, uh, you know, the covenant is like when you're getting married, right, you're marrying her. You're not just marrying her. You're actually, God is involved in that. So you're saying, till death do I part, I will be with this woman. And to death do I part, Lord, I will honor this covenant. That's right. And, and that's where, where it gets very interesting. And we could go into, like, divorce and annulments and all that other stuff and, and because that is all part of, okay, how do you exit out of a marriage if it started as sure. a covenant? But anyway, sure. we're not going but there But historically, today. you asked me about why it took so long for me to get married. And yeah. I was just explaining that you got to kind of study history in order to understand somebody. So my history was mm. I came from a divorced family. I was very cautious about... Um, you know, long-term relationships. I made a decision to get married in college. So I've been out of college for 25 years. So I was engaged to my college sweetheart and that broke apart. And again, that was another negative experience that made me cautious about the Mm. permanent nature of a marriage. Now, back then, 25 years ago, I had just become a Christian. So I really didn't understand God's design or God's role Mm. in marriage. So it took a little while for me to mature in my faith, start to understand God's viewpoint and design on things and what role he was going to play inside of marriage. Marriage isn't just designed for me. I mean, marriage is about sex and it's about reproduction, but also I believe marriage by God's design is part of his custom leadership curriculum for each 
believer, each one of his kids, son and daughter, mm. he's developing us into maturity. And, and part of this process of sanctification, I think one of the super exercises that he uses is marriage. And I didn't understand that at first. Mm. So and you, I'm starting to understand it now. So what I'm hearing you say is that he uses marriage almost as character development Absolutely. for each of us Absolutely. in his plan for our lives. Yes. Okay, so before we even go further with that, let's go back a little bit to what did you think back then in college about marriage? Well, remember, back in college, so I'm a, I'm a young, struggling guy, haven't learned how to make money yet. And, but I knew that, you know, I knew what uh, love felt like, okay? But now, now that's 25 years ago. Love back then and love now has taken on a different connotation. Love back then, you know, look, everybody knows this. In your 20s, you want the best looking person. Mm -hmm. In your 30s, you want the most successful person. Mm -hmm. And in your 40s, you want the best person for you, the best mm -hmm. parent, the best mate, and it's more of a long view. So the older I got, the more of a long view I started mm. to take. And it's not that looks aren't important. It's not that uh, success and money aren't important. But there are bigger things that factor into the success of a, a marriage relationship formula. There's much bigger things from God's perspective. Mm. Okay. So back then, just to clarify, in your 20s, right? You looked at your worldview of marriage was what? It was, I need a hot girl. Go ahead. Looks were very, very important. I yep. wanted to be successful. You know, I wanted to be a certain type of person, and I wanted her to be a certain type of person. And very little of that formula, you know, the different parts of that formula, very little of it was spirituality. Mm. A lot of it was looks. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was uh, how that person made me feel. Mm. And a lot of it had to do with resources. What kind of resources do I get to bring into the situation where, you know, I'm going to be able to take care of this person? Yeah, because as men, right, we're natural providers. Right. So and I had, I, none of, I had nothing. Yeah, I, had, yeah. I had what's between my ears. That's all I had. Now, yeah. some people would say I had what's between my ears and what's between my, well, let's not go there. <laughs> But this is broken Catholic. We right. actually go. With well, that, I so. mean, the, the point is, is that, look, when you start to mature on your viewpoint of any topic, whether it's finances, whether it's business, whether it's parenting or marriage relationships, they start to take on a different form. I mean, I can mm. even ask you, Joseph. Yeah. I mean, when your 20s, you were looking for a certain type of person, your 30s, that probably started to get more refined. Mm. And now that you're into the do 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 your 40s, right? You're I, I, I have no comment on that. Thing. Okay. Well, I mean, you're starting to look for a certain thing, a certain person, a you're certain type of right. person. And it's not just looks, is it? No. I mean, now you're starting to look at the heart. You're starting to look at, I hope, what kind of mother she would be, yeah. what kind of family she comes from. I hope you're starting to factor All right. So being it. you're asking me this, right, I'm, not, I'm normally the one doing the interview, but you're obviously interviewing the single guy right now. So that's cool. But... Uh, yeah. I've, I think your listeners would be interested. Listen, I've come a long way in this, right? Because like you said, first off, I, I agree spot on. Uh, just to go back in time, at very similar to you. Eight and a half years old, my parents got divorced. Nasty divorce. Brutal, right? Violent. Uh, a lot of verbal abuse and everything going on. And we got caught in the crossfire. And, uh, you know, we got really tr traumatized by that as little kids. And we weren't informed yet, so we couldn't process, like, what the heck is going on? Where did all the love and my family just go to? Like, it just broke. Everything broke. 
and we didn't know why, right? So naturally, as a kid, you think it's your fault. What did I do wrong? I'm a bad son. I'm a I'm no good. Nobody loves me. And then you, I created these belief systems in my life and, and carried it off into adulthood, which then affected the types of girls I attracted, etc. Sure. But not even going there, just to get back to your question, I, I was all about hot, right? Is she on a scale of one to 10? How good does she look, right? And, and it was all about, you know, how attracted physically am I to this girl? Um, little, it was very here and now, very instant gratification. It, it had very little to do with, if any, uh, with the future. And then in my 30s, it was uh, still all about that. Um, a little more about, because now I, I, had, I had been seasoned, right? I had dated a lot of the wrong girls, Right. And, and you know this when you date a lot of the wrong girls, it's you learn what doesn't work for you. Well, for me, I kept attracting the same girl, exactly. same dysfunctional pattern kept yeah. repeating itself in my life, which comes from my childhood. Joseph, broken for childhood. two decades, oh, I, I was attracting the same type of dysfunctional person into yeah. my life. So now what, that I have the benefit of looking backwards, hindsight's 2020. Yeah. I it's unbelievable. So I was you, attracting that person. Give us the profile of that person. Well, that person was coming from a, a broken family, yeah. just like I did. Yeah. That person was coming. I would mistake uh, being able to, to view that person's passion. I thought passion was being able to fight with that person over topics. And if they would fight back and they would get fired up about stuff, I thought, wow, that person's got passion. That wasn't passion. That was dysfunction. <laughs> That was dysfunction. So all of a sudden, you know, this dysfunction would manifest itself in lots of broken relationships, sometimes eating disorders. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that had gone on in that person's life and background. Mm. And then in my background and in my life, we're bringing two dysfunctional situations together. And I started learning things uh, that I didn't want to learn. You know, there's psychological conditions where you attract people and you become codependent. You know, you have to make the other person happy or they're not a whole person. Mm. And I started learning things at a young age that I didn't want to learn. You know, you just touched on something. You have to make the other person whole or they're not a person, right? Uh, so that reminds me of a movie back in the 80s where they, there's that famous line, you complete me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. Jerry Maguire. Yeah, right? speak on that for a second. When Jerry it comes Maguire, to... show me the money. That's what. That's my famous line out of the... <laughs> I get it, but let's stick Show to marriage, me the money. Right? Yeah, Jerry, that... show me the money. That's the business topic. All right, so <laughs> you complete me, right? You complete me. So this God's design. Let's go back to God's design. Go ahead. God's design is that two people would come together and they would be different. They would possess things that the other person didn't possess. And by God's design in our this custom leadership curriculum that I believe, he uses marriage to develop us, not only in character, but in spiritual maturity. And so if I'm a, a type A personality, to your point, and I'm kind of you know rough and ready and gruff and very decisive and ready to fight on, a, on the turn of a dime, and then I meet this gentle person that's the opposite of my behavioral style. And they make decisions quite differently than I do. And then God puts us together. He sometimes does that. You know, 50% of the time he puts opposites together. You know that, right? He, it's either 50-50. Birds of a feather flock together or opposites attract. It's one or the other. So in my case with my wife, he drew me and drew her to the exact opposite. Hmm. We couldn't be more opposite. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that that's, again, 
God's design. How right. is God, how is it that people learn? Do people learn when they're given everything? If you win the lottery and you lay on the couch eating bonbons and you watch MTV and you do that for 30 years, what happens? You're a big blob, <laughs> right? You're useless. Yeah. Conversely, if you put people like a, a piece of charcoal under pressure for time and trials and tribulations happen, what, what typically happens to a diamond over... You know, charcoal becomes diamond over time. Yeah. Well, people are like that. So he puts us into situations where there's trials and tribulations and gives us the ability to respond and overcome. And so we start to develop tenacity and we start to learn how to solve problems and we become better people. How to and, communicate. Well, I mean, that's the, we're forced into this, Joseph. It sounds like you're making marriage out to be like the ultimate pressure cooker. Well, I would just say, I wouldn't say that as much as I would say, you know, having the benefit of five years of marriage. I'm certainly no yeah. expert compared. And I talk to people that have been married for 30, 40, 50 years all the time. And I always ask them the same question. Mm. How, how did you survive marriage this long? Because this is real. Yeah. Um, and they always say the same thing. We learn how to work together and compromise. Mm. And we learn how to complement the other person. So the other person has strengths. And they also have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. But guess what? You have strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And when you learn to work together as a team, you learn to lay down certain things and surrender. Mm -hmm. And you learn when to fight, when not to fight. But ultimately, you're trying to achieve this much higher goal. You try to achieve synergy. Synergy doesn't happen by yourself. It never can. Synergy happens when two things work together and then the, the end result is multiplied exponentially, the result. So when you talk about synergy, two things working together headed in the same direction, in God's design, Dan, what, what is that destination? What is that direction? Well, number one, I think God wants us to live an abundant life, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a quick biblical comparison between the difference between what some people teach, poverty, and then if you go on the other end of the scale, prosperity. So some guys teach, look, you got to shave your head, you got to give all your money to the poor, and you got to become a monk. And then other people teach, you deserve to be a, a millionaire, and God's going to, if you just believe, God's going to make you a millionaire. See, see the, the problem with those two ends of the spectrum? They're extremes. So, so typically, what I find is God operates somewhere in the middle. He doesn't want you to be poor, but maybe he's not called you to be rich either. Not that being poor or rich is a bad thing. I think God wants to develop us to where he gets a hold of our heart to where we're useful to him. And I think he adds things onto our lives, not as much for us to live the abundant life, but so that we can start to help others. And that's God's plan. This is a very strange thing, Joseph. If, if I was God, and I'm not, but if I was, I would have lightning bolted you a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, I would have lightning bolted I, me. Bro, I would have lightning bolted <laughs> I me like lightning five times me. in the same minute. So the, the point is, is that we're not God, but God's design is he wants us to grow, to develop, and he uses us to reach other people. That's his plan. That's not my plan. So inherently, we've got a calling on our lives. Mm. Now, the Bible says we're supposed to be not when we realize who we are in Christ, that, that we've been adopted into the family as a son or daughter. That's a big deal because that comes with a bunch of inheritance, okay? God's inheritance, and God equips us with different things, but ultimately he's motivated by love, and he wants to use us to reach other people. Marriage is one of the things that he uses by design 
to model how he feels about the church. Mm. I mean, marriage is a direct represent, representation of Christ and the church. We are the church. Mm. Christ is our bridegroom, it says. We're going to be married to him in mm. eternity. Not like a traditional marriage where we're producing children, but an intimate relationship. And so, and so Christ just says this. Ultimately, you said, ultimately, what's the design? Ultimately, I think it's love. I think it's unconditional love. So as me and my wife grow together and we have children and we, we go through sickness and health and richness and poorness and all these things that you experience in life together, we should be developing an unconditional love where we're accepting one another, where we're not judging one another, where we're ultimately we've got the other person's best interests at heart. And in that microcosm, in that ultimate Petri dish, God is going to use that relationship above all relationships to teach us about him and his unconditional love. And I think also to teach us about ourselves. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So you spoke about selflessness. Where is that shown up in your marriage? Um, give us a before and after of, say, your lifestyle as a single guy. Um, and then you got married. Where does selfishness uh, or selflessness, right? Right. How did you wrestle with those? Uh, give us the before and after. Okay, so, you know, you read in the Bible about dying to self. Like, yeah. as God's design on us, we have a benchmark that he's trying to help us grow into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Hmm. So Jesus Christ was the ultimate expression of selflessness. Like, he went to the cross and died for our sin. That's as selfless as it gets. He died for a friend, us. So in marriage, my first example was we went on a great honeymoon. We came back, and the very first meal, my, my wife, Sarah, prepared. She baked some broccoli. She made some Chinese stir-fry. And Joseph, I sat down to eat my very first meal as a married man that she prepared. And I bit into the broccoli, and it tasted like carpet. I mean, it <laughs> was terrible. So I sat there for just a minute, and I'm thinking, we're having very pleasant conversation. We're talking about our honeymoon. We just had a lovely time. Eating, we're married now. Eating we're, your carpet. We're yeah. living together for the first time. We didn't live together yeah. beforehand. She's all moved in. I'm just thinking, wow, this is amazing. And then I bite into this broccoli, and I taste the, the beef stir-fry, and it was just like rubber. I mean, it was terrible. So without missing a beat, I, I just push myself away from the table and I go and make myself a ham sandwich. Ooh. So I'm still talking to my wife. We're having a conversation. I don't even think, I don't even think, Joseph, when I come back with my ham sandwich, I push my dinner that she spent so much time preparing for me and I start eating my ham sandwich, but the conversation died. And I don't understand why. And I'm, I'm just enjoying my sandwich. Uh, I'm eating some chips. And I'm such, like, I'm happy. You're such a guy. And I look at my wife and I'm like, just everything has drained out of her face. Her countenance has changed. And she's just kind of looking at me in disbelief. And I'm like, honey, what's wrong? I, what's wrong? And Did I do something? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know. Five years ago, I would never dream of doing that today. Today, she, her, first of all, her cooking has improved vastly, but she would put something in front of it. And she asked me, do you like it? And even if I didn't like it, I'll say it's not bad. It's not bad. And I'll, I'll muscle through it now. So what's my point? My point is, is I care about her feelings now. Mm. And I just didn't, it wasn't even on my register before that she had tried and she made a big effort and now she's working towards pleasing me 
she did something that she didn't really know how to do. She was working out of a cookbook that somebody gave us for a marriage present. She was trying to create meals, and she's never done this before. She's been single her whole life. So here it is. Now we're, we're learning to work together. We're learning to care about each other's feelings, and that has to grow, Joseph. It has to grow. Now, you know, look, marriage is fun. Now you're together all the time. Now you're, you know, you're able to have unlimited sex. You're just, but you know, then the years go by. Then the, the, we had babies, you know, we had children that came and, you know, now I wake up and, and maybe my, my hair is messed up and my breath is stinky and my wife's hair is messed up and she hasn't shaved her legs and the kids are sleeping between us. And, and it's not what it used to be. It's more. It's better because now, look, our family has multiplied. Now we're a family unit. Now we don't even get into parenting, which should also be on the mm. list of topics because I think part of the custom leadership curriculum also is parenting. I think God uses that almost as much as marriage to grow us as people. So selflessness. Now when I have a knockdown blowout argument with my wife, which we still do, okay, now I'm quick to forgive mm. and I'm quick to ask for forgiveness. And I'm quick to look at her and say, ultimately, I know that Jesus loves me unconditionally. And if I was to, he was to treat me the way I'm treating my wife or vice versa, could I say, I love you unconditionally? And so the design is that slowly the selfishness should be going away, replaced by selflessness, where I want to serve my wife regardless of how she looks, regardless of how she speaks and, you know, but she should be wanting the same thing. And mm -hmm. if we're constantly trying to serve each other, I mean, you know, not worshiping each other, not, you know, we're trying to serve one another. We're trying to look into the heart of each person and say, you know, out of the 7 billion plus people on the planet, God gave me you. Mm -hmm. And we say that to each other. You know what killed me one time? Her father is a senior pastor. Hmm. So she grew up in a pastor's home. She's a pastor's kid. She was homeschooled. I mean, just a very godly girl. No dysfunction. Like when I was dating her, I thought, no passion, man. Where's all the passions, girl? She won't fight with me. Hmm. Um, and I was mistaking, once again, passion and fighting with dysfunction. <laughs> I mean, it was dysfunction. She just didn't have dysfunction. I've done that too. I get so, that. So, I mean... One time we had our son, Shepard, and he's three years old now. And I remember he came home from the hospital, and my mother-in-law, Nancy, had come over to help. And I, I remember walking out into the room, and she's holding my baby son, my infant son, and she's saying something to him very quietly. And I tried to get really close. I was sneaking up on her because I wanted to know what she was saying. And she was reciting Bible verses to my infant son. And then I kind of walked into the room and I announced myself and I said, Hey, what you doing? She goes, Oh, I'm just, there's certain Bible verses that I like to recite, um, to your, to your baby. And she shared what those were. And I was like, I was amazed. She goes, by the way, these are the same verses I recited over your wife when she was my infant baby. And I was thinking, what a faithful woman. She's speaking scripture over these babies. And somehow we got on the topic of, you know, I started asking her, well, what are some of the things I should pray over my children? And she said, well, one thing you should pray about is that they, one day when they're grown, they find a godly mate. Mm. And I said, even now, even as a baby, mm. she goes, I've been praying for you over my daughter, Sarah, since she was a baby. I was, wow. I've been, and I was the guy that this godly pastor's wife prayed for 33 years 
for her to marry a godly man, and it was me. What showed up for you in that moment? Oh, I wanted she... to cry. I absolutely wanted to run out of the room and Why? go, because I don't think I'm worthy. I don't think, I can't imagine that I was the answer uh, to a pastor's wife praying for 30-plus years for her daughter, her oldest daughter. This was her first child. My wife is her first child, mm. oldest of five. They ended up having five children. But to pray for 30 years for a child to marry a godly person, and then I'm that person, that's a lot of weight, bro. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> that's why, a lot to live up to. Why do you think you're not worthy, though? If you believe that Jesus loves just you think, unconditionally yeah. and Ult- you're worthy to him, why not? Ultimately, as I process through this, remember yeah. this happened years ago, ultimately I under, started to understand this in light of grace. So if we start to understand all the resources and inheritance that God puts into our accounts, I would say one of the greatest resources given from God is grace. Grace being his unmerited favor, blessings that he pours into our lives that we don't deserve. Things that just come from him because he's good and gracious. So in light of grace, I started to understand that is my role. I am the answer to my mother-in-law's prayer, but it's by God's grace. It's not because of me. In other words, I don't get to really take credit and say, oh, look at me. I'm such a great guy. I'm such a godly man because I'm, look, I'm just a broken sinner like anybody else. And I'm living in God's grace. Mm -hmm. I get all this unmerited favor, all these blessings that he pours out, not because I'm good. It's because he's good. Mm -hmm. And that's by definition, that's where selflessness and selfishness, if I was selfish, I'd say, oh, I deserve this. I'm such a great guy. But I'm starting to learn that that's not his nature. He's selfless. He gives, not expecting anything in return. That's why it's a free gift. That's why it's salvation is free will. I mean, you don't have to take it. You understand that? I mean, some people choose not to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? Oh, yeah. It's free will. He wanted people to decide on their own. So marriage is the same thing. He wants us to see the design of marriage is a good thing. It says it in the Bible. It says marriage. If you find a wife, you found something that's good. And, you know, you got to be choosy. Proverbs 31 shows up for me, right? Proverbs 31, the back half. I prayed for a Proverbs 31 wife. Yeah, so did I, right? And I kept attracting <laughs> Proverbs negative <negative> thirty-one, <laughs> right? The opposite, right? And and I'm just gonna connect with you for a second in some of the things you you shared because you've shared some really good content here. And you know, you used to attract dysfunctional women and call it passion. They're passionate, and uh, same here, right? And and like. You know, I recently, well, not too recently, but I met a girl, like I dated a girl one time and, and she was just like so boring. Like there was no fire, there was no passion, there was no anything. But yet, same thing, uh, you know, well, her granddad was the pastor of a church or whatever, and, and she had no dysfunction in her family or very little, I would say. And, and she's just a godly girl. And man, something inside of me just had friction with that, like... Oh, this would never work. There's no fire. There's mm. no there's no passion. There's no steam. How would this last? I mean, I hear all these things about marriage. It's you know, it's like, well, whatever it is now when you're dating, it times it by a hundred when you get married. So if there's a lack of passion and fire right now, well shoot, times that by a hundred. And I'm like, how do I wrestle with that? Yeah, well, that's pop psychology though. That's not biblical. What I would say is, as I've learned to mature in my faith, I've learned to wash ideas 
that are really, really important through Scripture. Mm. So I try to find God's viewpoint on things. And if you dig, he'll always give you his viewpoint on things. So to the person that says, well, God never tells me anything, I would ask, when was the last time you read your Bible? I mean, remember when we went through Proverbs and Psalms? I mean, there's so much business wisdom in Proverbs and Psalms. You can't read five Proverbs and five Psalms a day and not get a bit of business wisdom that pertains to you and your business. My point is, is that God has a viewpoint on things. His view is the right view. And so when he says that marriage is a good thing and finding a spouse is a good thing, it's a good thing. But, you know, I started the conversation by saying it took me a long time to line up my ducks in a row to get married. Why? Well, I think it was me, Joseph. I think that God wasn't, I wasn't prepared for what I was asking for. Because remember, Mm -hmm. I was asking for a Proverbs 31 wife. Mm -hmm. I was asking for one of God's daughters. Mm. And he's not going to give me one of God's daughters until I'm ready. Mm. So there was a little bit of a preparation for me that I didn't like. I didn't like having to wait but in the meantime, I got to participate in a lot of stuff. Like I took care of my dying father for 13 years. He lived at my house. Wow. And that prevented a couple of you know possible matrimonial situations from occurring. Or did it? If God is sovereign, then everything happened exactly the way that it was supposed to. Yeah. And my wife came into my life at exactly the right moment. She helped me take care of my dad the last two years. Uh, I never wanted anybody else to do that except for my wife, and she accepted that. And that that was like a super sign for me that this was the right person for me. Mm. And, um, you know, what I've come to understand is uh, I've recently retained a marriage coach, Dr. Richard Marks out of Jacksonville, and he has really given me a lot of insight into how people's needs have to be met. Like we're, we can turn selfish at any time mm-hmm. in our needs. There's a set of needs that we have to get uh, met by other people. And he argues that when those, one of these various needs, there's 12 or 14 needs aren't being met by your other person, then that's when fights break out. Mm. But if you concentrate on helping to meet the needs of the other person in a selfless way, everything starts to smooth out for some reason. So let me ask you this. How does that uh, coincide with like the five love languages? Yeah, he, he mentioned that. He, he knows uh, Dr. Gary Chapman that yeah. wrote the five love languages, and he says it just doesn't go far enough. He okay. says that's like you know a basic level. Mm-hmm. And what he's talking about is he adds marriage tools into the equation that you can actually take back and work on with mm. each other. And so me and my wife are working on those. And this guy, this guy is so selfless. He actually drove, I met him at a CBMC ministry com- family conference and he was the featured speaker for the whole weekend. We hit it off, he's a great guy. This guy drove to my house from Jacksonville and donated an entire day just because I told him I need a, a mentor. I need a, I need a marriage mentor. You know, I'm at five years of marriage. We're starting to hit a little bit of bumps here and there. And I just, I want to get better at this thing. And I've been praying that God would help me be a godly husband. And then this guy shows up. He goes, look, I'm going to drive down to your house. Hey, let's look at our calendars. He drives down on a Thursday. And he did something called a gen chart, a generational chart. And he said, look, let's look at your parents and your brothers and sisters and your uncles and aunts, and let's see where there was alcoholism, where there's divorce, where Mm. there's adultery. And he painted a picture back up to my grandparents, which is all I can remember. You know, there's just a lot of generational stuff that goes on that gets passed on 
to, to subsequent generations. Man, I'd be scared to look at mine. I, it was scary to look at it. You know, I had some good, a lot of bad. Mm. But what was funny was, scripturally speaking, you know, that stops. All the bets are off when you accept Christ. When Jesus comes into your life and you get empowered by the Holy Spirit, all that generational stuff that's gone on, mm. man, that has that that can stop right there with that generation. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm just counting on on my relationship with Christ, my continued, you know, I get into the Bible every morning in a morning quiet time. I pray about being a godly husband and father. I go out and I look for help. Look, I'm telling you, I'm I'm not one of those guys that just prays for a million dollars. Okay, I'm going to go out and try to earn it. Mm -hmm. But I ask God for his help. Give me, you know, he gives me the ability to do things. I was asking for help with marriage to understand the design and then the mechanics of how to keep it going five years, six years. I want to get to 25 or 30 years. You know what I'm saying? I don't want my kids to go through what I went through. Mm. And if I can help it with God's help, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And and trust me when I say to, to your listeners out there, I'm a knucklehead. Joseph, I am a knucklehead. I'm, I'm not sensitive. I'm not good at marriage, but I do love my wife, and I do want to stay married to her, and I would sacrifice myself for her. And I've gotten to that point. I would sacrifice myself for her. And I know that one day when one of us is on our deathbed, the other one's going to be there caring for us. And I think God's going to be right there in the middle. Remember how we talked about a covenant. The covenant is when you invite God into the middle of a situation. Then, then anything can become a covenant. So if you're just joining us right now on this podcast, we're, do- uh, we're talking with uh, Dan Schock, and we're, the topic today is God's design on marriage. And between Dan and myself, you're listening to two knuckleheads. Yeah. I'm a single knucklehead. He's a married knucklehead. Uh, type A personalities, naturally wired for selfishness, uh, coming from generations of brokenness in our families. Uh, we didn't choose right? But we were born into it, and we don't know why, but we do know that God has a beautiful plan for our lives, and God takes the mess, and he, and he turns it into, you know, that brokenness into something beautiful, but he asks us to submit, to surrender. Um, so, Dan, I really, really appreciate you sharing your heart today on this. We're a little pressed for time today, just on your schedule. Uh, so, we're going to go right into the confession round. I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions, <laughs> and you'll have three seconds to answer each. Are oh you boy. ready? Oh, boy. What are my answers? Yes, no, or pass? No, no. There's uh, no, no yes or no. These are actual thoughtful answers. Okay. But take about three seconds. First thing that comes to you. Okay. What's your favorite thing about being an adult? The decisiveness. What's your least favorite thing about being an adult? <laughs> the responsibility. What secret fear do you have about people? That they will abandon me. Mm. If you could be anyone, who would you want to trade places with for the next seven days just for fun? Donald Trump. (laughs) Nice. What do you you wish you were better at? I wish I was better at communication. Mm. What dream are you scared of pursuing? Uh, Probably a theological degree. Interesting. What makes you smile more than anything? When I see God's design on something, especially children. Children mostly. Got it. My children specifically. Yep. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Astronaut. (laughs) If you had the power to remove any one form of suffering in the world, what would you choose? Uh, Abortion. 
Got it. Imagine sometime in the distant future, and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. Dan Shock loved God. He loved his wife and children, and he helped people. When you die, what would you like to hear God say when you walk through the pearly gates? I would like to say, I would like to hear God say, Welcome home, son. You've done a good job. Well done. You've been a good and a faithful servant. Now come in and enjoy the rest of eternity with your father and your master. I get that. And last question, Dan. If you could come back to life after you died and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? I would say heaven and hell are very real. Boom. Dan, what's the we- the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? DanShock.net is my ministry website. Our event site locally in Tampa Bay is BeHisAmbassador.com. BeHisAmbassador.com. We host a number of events for business professionals, both men and women. And I would encourage you to come to one of our events here in Tampa Bay. Excellent. Dan, thanks for joining us today. And we wish you the love, forgiveness, and transformation of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joseph, you're an amazing person, and I'm thankful to be your friend. Thanks, brother. Cheers. Friends, I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. Head over to BrokenCatholic.com to learn how to stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and remember that God the Father loves you, He's fascinated by you, and He wants to show you His awesome plan for your life. Now go spend quiet time with Him, and I'll see you on the next show.